If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that rhyme. You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, get 10% off. Well, the economy's still going down. Some people are saying it's going to come back and there are some bad signs out there. Media, what are you doing? I have something really gross to point out. And finally, well, it's bingo night. All that's coming up right now on I'm Right. Well, it's day 1,000 of the coronavirus thing. I I mean, that's what it feels like, right? We're all feeling the same thing. And look, allow me to give you a piece of advice before I go off on tonight's show and the economy and everything else. Take some time away from the news. 
Obviously, you still need to tune in to I'm Right every single Monday through Friday, where we give you some laughs, at least, along with all the bad news. But take some time away from the news. Turn it off. Turn off the TV. Turn off the radio. Get off social media and just go. Go outside and get some fresh air. Because in times like this, and these are, I mean, hard times. Harder times than we've known in quite a while as Americans, aren't they? We have a pandemic killing people. The economy is absolutely free-falling. Things are dark, but take some time away. It doesn't hurt to just go for a walk and forget about things every now and then. Allow that to be my very own Jesse Kelly PSE, PS, PSA. I have a hard time with words sometimes. PSA from me to you. Now, that's the good news. The bad news. Um, I'm not sure... The politicians in this country, and I mean all of them, I'm not sure they understand what's happening. Here's the president. And I do think this, uh, especially the faster we could get it open, our country. Can you believe we're talking about our country, getting our country open? Uh, the faster we get it open, the bigger the boom, the bigger the rocket ship going up. I think it has a chance to go really uh, quickly, relatively quickly. I'd like to see very quickly, but we'll see. Yes and no. Now, for one, President Trump didn't misspeak there. Those are the words of encouragement Amer the American people need to hear. But let's just address this, are we going to come back quickly? Are we, are we going to overtake where we are? How quickly are we going to come back? So allow me to put this in a way that makes it easy for everybody to understand. Let's say right now we have 10 businesses. 10 businesses in the whole country, which we're going to if this goes on much longer. But let's say we have 10 businesses in the country. We're losing 20, 30% of them already closed. We'll lose another 10, 20% of them by the time this thing's done, if they're going to open us up by the end of April. And that's a big if. I'm already hearing things about, well, we're going to open this up in four to eight weeks. Let's just say for the sake of argument, and nobody can put an exact number on this, but this is probably not too far off. Let's say for the sake of argument that five of those 10 businesses are shut down by the time this thing is done. Had to close. Now, let's say again, for the sake of argument, that a few, that two or three, and this is probably being generous, two or three of the five that shut down were financially strong enough or have enough capital to back it up or are able to get a loan to back it up to where they can open up the doors again once the economy comes back. Granted, you're going to have lost some employees for various reasons. They'll have found something else. Some will have moved. I mean, this kind of economic dislocation, it's not something you can figure out how everything works. Just know that as soon as you say, okay, you're allowed to open again, that doesn't mean all 10 of your employees are standing at the door just waiting for you to flip the open sign on so they can come back in and start flipping burgers. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works at all. During depressions like this, economic downturns, pandemics, people move around, people bounce around, people do various things to survive, and sometimes they find something else. So again, let's say, and this is being nice, this is being really nice. Let's say two of those 10 that we started out with are gone permanently. And again, that's being very nice. Remember, businesses operate on capital. Businesses have to make money. They have to bring in revenues. 
Every single month they have expenses. Every single month they bring in revenues. The revenues must outpace the expenses. When you drop the revenues to zero, the expenses will finish you very, very quickly. I don't care how many SBA loans the government guarantees. I don't care how many $1,200 checks and monopoly money they hand out. You've only got so much time. The clock is ticking. So let's say we just lost 20% of the businesses in the United States of America. Again, I think I'm being generous, but let's say that. We lined them up on the trench, pow, shot them right in the back of the head. Those don't come right back. If you've had to close, if you've had to declare bankruptcy, let's say you're a small business owner, which most of those will be, although there will be some big, big, big ones that will go bankrupt. You'll see airlines going bankrupt. You'll see mergers. You'll see crews. Uh, cruise ships, cruise lines, travel agencies, all those. But let's just say you're a regular old small business. Your business had to close permanently. You're bankrupt. You're out of money. You don't just get to walk back into the bank that hopefully is still there by the time this is done. Hey, uh, I'd like to open again. Will you give me a loan? You see, you get these loans to start your small business if you don't have the money. And by now, let's be honest, that person would not have any money left. You get loans to start a business based on credit, based on your credit rating. Credit rating is a funny thing. You get credit ratings, good credit ratings, by borrowing money and paying said money back. See if you can guess what hurts your credit rating. Borrowing money, not paying it back. That person isn't bouncing right back. That person isn't walking into a small business anywhere or a small bank anywhere and say, hey, I'm ready for my loan now. I'm ready to get rolling again. You have set that person back, even if they're responsible, even if they can dig right in and find a way to start clawing back and paying back some of the bills. You've set that person back a year, two years. That's the responsible person. The amount of people out there after being wiped out like that who will just say, screw it, I'm out. There's a lot of them. That's not a bounce back. That is permanently, permanently shrinking the United States economy. This, this dream that so many people seem to have, that the economy is just, you know, it's just a remote. And we just pause it. Oh, we're ready to start again. Hang on, let's press play. Okay. That's a, it's a complete dream. It doesn't exist in the real world. That's not how it works. I just explained to you how it works. We are going to see a contraction of the United States economy. No doubt. If, 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 if everything goes according to plan, if he opened it up tomorrow, we would see a contraction of the United States economy. And the longer it goes, the worse that contraction is going to be. Four to eight weeks? Are you people out of your mind? We don't have four to eight weeks. We don't. And that's just the business aspect of it. Let's take a moment here and let's talk about the human aspect of it. Have a look at some food lines. That's how people were living. That is people waiting in line to get food. That's not in some backwater country somewhere. In the United States of America, that is vehicles lined up to get emergency food. Now, right now, on April 7th, not May 7th, not June 7th, not July 7th. That's happening right now in the United States of America. People are already running out of food. We do not 
have four to eight weeks. We have to get going now. Yes, we have to do it smartly. Yes, we have to do it responsibly. Focus on the hotspots. We still have a pandemic to deal with. But this nationwide insanity, this collectively agreed upon insanity that we just have to stop everything and lock people in their homes is absolutely bonkers. And I cannot believe it's even being considered. And I'll tell you something else that hasn't been considered. What do you think happens to your police departments, to your fire departments, to your schools, to your roads? Have you thought about that? You understand that police and firemen, as great as they are, they don't, they don't show up to work just for the heck of it for funsies, right? They need to be paid. They don't get paid as a private business. That's taxpayer money. What do you think a city, a county, a state does when there's no money coming in? Oh, they don't get to do what the, fed, what the feds do, which is just head on down to the print shop and whoop, I, need a new, I need a new stack of hundreds. No, there have to be cuts. The reverberations of this economic shutdown are going to be felt everywhere in ways that you can't possibly even imagine, in ways that I can't possibly even imagine, and I'm a genius. This is going to be felt everywhere. You know, little Johnny's school that you sent him off to? And you love all the teachers, and you really thought it was really cool how they got a new computer lab, and, oh, that's good, they go to a, a good field trip. Bye-bye field trip. Bye-bye computer lab. Bye-bye knew this. Bye-bye knew that. You contract an economy, everyone feels it. Not just small businesses. Not just a restaurant. Not just an airline. Not just a cruise line. Every single person in the United States of America is about to feel pain if we do not get rolling again. That's what I've been trying to explain to everybody else. You must turn the economy back on. You never, for any reason whatsoever, shut down a $20 trillion economy with 330 million people. You never, ever do it. Why? Well, I'll put it to you this way. You're about to find out why. Nancy Pelosi has a plan, though. This freaking idiocy. So uh, there is in place uh, so much of what uh, th uh, that we have done, uh, but we need more. And again, we're right now trying to implement uh, the CARE Act in terms of the uh, unemployment insurance, in terms of the help for small businesses, in terms of direct payments, issues that relate to state and local government, as issues that relate to hospitals and uh, other health-serving institutions to meet their needs. So we've done a great deal, and we just have to get that out. But as it goes out, we know already that the acceleration of the pace of this virus and this assault, not only on the lives, but the livelihood of American people, that we must do more. So we're preparing for CARES 2 already. For CARES 2, they already finished off a $2 trillion bill where we already have small business confusion. Who can get a loan? Who can't get a loan? The banks are confused. We have $1,200 checks that are coming. Well, I guess at some point in time, the thing has already been an inefficient disaster that our great-grandkids will pay for, and the government's solution is, well, we're going to do another one. That's at least according to Nancy Pelosi. No, we can't do another one. We are going to end up having the American dollar being worth the same as the peso if we don't stop printing money. There is only one solution, one 
that gets the American people back on their feet again. That's turning the economy back on. Anything else? You're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. All that may have made you uncomfortable. But I'm right. We got a great show. Hang on. Joining me now is somebody a lot more intelligent than me, so we need him to work out exactly how we get this economy going again. He's the professor of operations research and public policy at Heinz College in Carnegie Mellon, John Calkins. Professor, all that means is you're very smart and I'm very frustrated, so let's combine those two things into something that's an actual solution. I think well, what we're doing right now... I'm very flattered and I'm also very frustrated. So yeah, we can work together on this. <laughs> okay. I, I think, look, uh, obviously I know we have a pandemic. I think shutting down a $20 trillion economy of 330 million people is without question the stupidest thing I've ever seen smart people agree on in, this, in the history of the world. That I've never seen a nation purposely line up businesses on the side of the trench and shoot them in the back of the head. Nevertheless, that's what we're doing. How do we get this economy rolling again while also fighting the pandemic, which I acknowledge we obviously have to do? Yeah, I think to me the biggest recognition is to say we can't divide a giant economy into just two halves. It's not there's life-sustaining and everything else should be shut down. Absolutely, we got to shut down things like concerts for 20,000 people, but there's a big chunk of the middle of the economy that can be re-engineered to operate safely. How does that look? What does that mean, re-engineered? I mean, for, obviously, you're right. We can't be packing 100,000 people in a football stadium right now until we get our arms around this thing. But restaurants, dry cleaners. I mean, my goodness, my barber is not allowed to cut my freaking hair right now. I just smuggle him in my house like it's the Soviet Union. How do these people manage to get their arms around this? Well, let's compare a restaurant operating for takeout with a typical factory. The way we're looking at it right now, the restaurant can do its thing because it's making food. But if you walk into the typical restaurant kitchen, you see workers who are jammed together in much closer quarters than they are in a typical manufacturing plant, which is capital intensive and people are spread out. So if we think that restaurants can produce food for takeout, I think we should think that most manufacturing can operate. And we don't have to let it operate exactly as before. You can do things like break workers up into small teams and they only interact inside their own teams. You could take a factory that was operating eight hours and now have it open 24 hours with a third of the workers there at each point in time. There's a lot of opportunity for re-engineering processes to keep people spread out, reduce transmission without having them shut down completely. Why is this not being considered at a federal, state, and local level more? And I guess this is my frustration, Professor. I, I understand they're politicians. Politicians are what they are. But even politicians have to know they need revenue coming in to keep all that government stuff moving. You can't shut down the lifeblood of your economy. So why, at least in your opinion, was it even considered an option to look at the entire country and say, just go home and close up your business. How, how does that even happen at a powerful level? I don't know. At some level, the fact that it was first done strikes me as a human, understandable response by people who are scared. 
What bothers me more is that as the weeks go on, we're not pausing in being able to think things through a little bit more clearly. Okay, so let's say there's a manufacturer. This is a part of what I'm concerned about when it comes to opening back up. I believe at least in the public's eye, or at least you know the popular opinion is, we all have to stay locked inside for our own safety. So there's a, uh, a factory that makes widgets out there. And they decide, hey, come on back to work. We're putting in some steps in place. Going to make sure you're protected, getting you masks like you said, small groups and everything else. Because we do live in such a lawsuit society now, now I'm at the point where I worry a bunch of workers are going to either say no or all the employers are going to be hesitant to even invite them back for fear of getting sued into bankruptcy. Oh, it's going to be hard, and there are going to be those challenges. But I think we should give business and the workers a shot at trying it, saying not you're not allowed to try to innovate, you're not allowed to try to solve these problems. We invite and encourage you to solve these problems. And, and honestly, I'm not sure I would order all workers to go back to work. There may be people, and not even people who are older, who have health conditions that make them at higher risk. I'm not saying everybody should be forced back. I'm saying we should give them the chance if they want to, to try to figure out how to reopen in a safe way. Do you see other countries in the world trying to do things the way you are describing, trying to do things here in the United States of America? I guess I, I always like to think we Americans, I mean, we're certainly not perfect, but we do, we are such a diverse country, a smart country, we've been fairly advanced. I, I, I can't believe we're choosing what seems to me to be the dumb, simple way that a toddler would come up with, and I hear countries like Sweden are doing things differently. Are you seeing that? Yeah, Sweden and Denmark are, I mean, until just a couple days ago, Ontario, Canada exempted construction, for example, and didn't shut down construction, although they just have. Uh, but honestly, China is a place where I've heard stories of explicit re-engineering of factory processes uh, to make them safe. I've, I've heard stories that there are work teams that now live together and commute together and work together for a block of time it's maybe almost analogous to like in the oil patch. There are workers who go out into the fields for two weeks and then they come off for two weeks. Um, you could imagine that sort of approach for factories. Uh, you paint lines on factory floors so people have specified directions to walk through. There are a lot of, a lot of options. But the starting point again is that factories do not involve jamming workers together in as close proximity as many things that we are allowing. So I don't think that this is in some sense so terribly difficult to work out. What about a standard restaurant? I, I have argued that they should be allowed more than just takeout for one, because restaurants are so dependent on their cleanliness there. Isn't that something we can accept going forward? Now, clearly you're not gonna pack yourself into an Applebee's with a bunch of people two feet away from you on a Friday night, but they can separate out tables. They already are advanced enough as far as keeping things clean. Why can't a restaurant get rolling? I mean, maybe it can. Uh, my argument is basically that I think it's easier for factories than for a restaurant. 
So if you believe that a restaurant can reopen by saying having every third table open, then you probably are sympathetic to the argument that a factory can too. For me, the restaurant's a little bit harder because you're involving the public and the public are harder to control than our workers that are used to operating in ways that protect safety. But yeah, I'd be willing to listen to a restaurant or a retail store make a pitch, say, this is our plan, this is the different way we're gonna do things, we think that this is sufficiently protective. We, we should encourage people to make an effort to figure that out, rather than not giving them the chance to problem solve. Lastly, the travel industry. Is there anything they can do? Obviously, I don't think a bunch of people are gonna be lining up to go on a Carnival Cruise Line anytime soon. At the same time, there are a lot of people who make their living off of that industry in one way or the other. Hotels, cruises, and is there anything they can do or are they just screwed? No, that's a really good question. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I think that what I would like is to have a bunch of people who are expert in those industries working side by side with people who are experts in transmission and contagiousness and, and what's safe or not um, to try to figure that out rather than having me who's not working in either of those industries do it. But you know, at a minimum, if you said we're only gonna allow one eighth as many people on the plane, but the ticket's gonna cost eight times as much, you ought to be able to provide transportation services to the people who really, really need it, even if you're not going to be able to provide transportation services at the same price that we could in the past. I, I accept the idea that safe operation may be more expensive, but I'd rather have some economic activity, even if it's more expensive than no activity. Totally agree. Professor John Calkins, thank you so much for giving us some time today, sir. It was my pleasure. Have a good day. You too. We've got more. I don't, I don't understand something that I'm seeing right now, or I should rephrase that. I think I do understand it, and it worries me a lot. Hang on. There's some drug out there that doctors are using to treat people who come up with the coronavirus. Now, I've read it several times, but keep in mind, I have almost three years of community college credits, and I don't know how to say this word. It's it's something to that effect. Long story short, doctors are using it. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what the science is behind it. I do know for a fact that friends of mine are talking to top doctors in New York City who are using it as we speak on patients and praising it and saying they would use it on themselves if they got sick. That's pretty strong evidence to me. Here's the big boss talking about it. A drug called chloroquine. And some people would add to it hydroxy, hydroxychloroquine. So chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine. Now this is a common malaria drug. It's also a drug used for strong arthritis. Uh, somebody has pretty serious arthritis uh, also uses this in a somewhat different form. But it is known as a malaria drug, and it's been around for a long time, and it's very powerful. But the nice part is it's been around for a long time. So we know that if it 
if if things don't go as uh, planned, it's not going to kill anybody. When you go with a brand new drug, you don't know that that's going to happen. You have to see and you have to go long test. But this has been used in different forms, very powerful drug in different forms. And it's shown very encouraging, very, very encouraging early results. And we're going to be able to make that drug available almost immediately. And that's where the FDA has been so great. That is outstanding news. Again, I don't know anything about drugs. Well, I mean, not these kind of drugs. I'll quit. We can make jokes on the show. I don't know anything about this. It sounds great. Like I said, when doctors are praising it, it sounds great. I know people are using it, but I will just say this. Whether it's this drug or something else, or some new treatment or some new vaccine, let us not forget, the American people will beat this thing. And I'm not doing some rah-rah speech for you here. I've said this all along, and I believe it. We will get our arms around it and figure out how to beat it. We always do, don't we? Here's the doctor talking about it. What we're finding clinically with our patients is that it really only works in conjunction with zinc. So the hydroxychloroquine opens the zinc channel, zinc goes into the cell, it then blocks the replication of the, of the cellular machinery. So it has to be used in conjunction with zinc. We are seeing some clinical responses in that regard. There are people that take it regularly for other disease processes. We have to be cautious and mindful that we don't prescribe it for patients who have COVID that are well. It really should be reserved for people that are really sick in the hospital or at home very sick that need that medication. Otherwise, we're gonna blow through our supply for the patients that take it regularly for other disease processes. But what, but what you're saying is you're prescribing it and it is working for COVID-19 patients. Every patient I've prescribed it to has been very, very ill and within eight to 12 hours, they were basically symptom free. And so wow. clinically, I am seeing a resolution that mirrors what we saw in the French study and some of the other studies worldwide. Um, but what I am seeing is that people are taking it alone by itself. It's not having efficacy. That is encouraging. And I don't know what a lot of those big words meant, but that sounds to me like we're finding a solution, and that is freaking awesome. I think we can all agree that everybody will be thrilled about that, except the American media. Here's CNN. Well, hope. Yes, please. The, the doctors who are treating coronavirus patients, they have the medical expertise to determine whether or not they should prescribe hydroxychloroquine. And many of them And do. there are already clinical trials in place sure. looking at hydroxychloroquine. Sure. So it should be finished not, in about a year. Why not just let the science speak for itself? Why are you promoting this drug? I'm not. I'm not. I'm just you saying very simply, here. I'm not at all. I'm not. Look, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying well, to save lives. You come out here every day, right, sir, talking about the benefits I, of I want them to try it, and it may work and it may not work. But if it doesn't work, it's nothing lost by doing it. Nothing. Because we know long-term what I want, I want to save lives. And I don't want to be in a lab for the next year and a half as people are dying all over the it's place. Out there. Doctors are already able to prescribe it off That's right. right? All I'm doing so what is you saying, accomplish? Well, well, I'll tell you what I accomplished. We bought massive amounts of it, 29 million doses of it. We have it coming from all of the labs. We're actually now doing it here. Because in case it does work, we want to have it. And we've given it to uh, drugstores. We're, we're sending it all over. FEMA's doing it. FEMA's doing it. We're doing it through different channels, many different channels, including the companies that make it. So it's a very special thing. Now, it may not work, in which case, hey, 
didn't work. And it may work, in which case it's going to save a lot of lives. Now, a lot of people say if the people walking in prior to getting it, if they take it, it has a profound effect. Well, maybe it does, and maybe it doesn't. I don't want to wait a year and a half to find out. And only CNN would ask that question. Fake news. Go ahead. He's right. Do they understand how that makes the press look? How can they constantly walk into the same rakes over and over and over again? We have encouraging news. Just because the news comes out of Trump's mouth and you hate him doesn't make it less encouraging. We have a potential drug that is plentiful, that we know about, that is saving lives. According to doctors, it's saving lives. And you're rooting against it just because Trump said it. That you ran into the same thing, remember, when that, when that uh, idiot Soleimani got killed, when we blew him up in Iraq. And all of a sudden, the press was over there, and they're talking about how he's a martyr, and how he didn't deserve this, and how it's a dangerous escalation, and everything else. No matter what, they will oppose anything Donald Trump does, and it makes them look terrible. Look, he's a big boy. He's the president of the United States. He can handle it. I'm not worried about his feelings. I am worried about the fact the American media is so lacking in self-awareness that they will defend or they will oppose anything Donald Trump is for. When you get to that point, you make yourself look stupid and you make yourself look anti-American a lot. Here's Trump and John Carl coming up. How long has that person been in government? Uh, did serve in the previous administration. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Oh, I see. You didn't tell me that, John. You didn't tell me that. Did serve in the previous administration. You mean the Obama administration. Thank you for telling me that. See, there's a typical fake news deal. You asked when she was appointed. I told you when she was appointed. You're a third-rate reporter. And what you just said is a disgrace, okay? You asked me, you said, sir, just got appointed. Take a look at what you said now. I said, when did they, when did this person, how long in government? But, but well, it was appointed in the Obama administration. Thank you very much, John. Thank you very much. You will never make it. Look, he deserves it. These things have gone on too long. And you know what? I'm going to talk to Sarah Gonzalez about this next. I don't like these press briefings anymore. And look, nobody enjoys President Trump slapping around reporters more than me. Nobody does. But when it comes to something like this, when we're fighting a global pandemic, when the economy is in free fall, let's just get some straight information out there. And let's be honest, we're not gaining anything, any new information when these reporters ask questions. Get up there, Mr. President, give your speech, have the doctors get up there if they have something to say, and sign off and say, I'll see you tomorrow. I think we've seen enough of it. I do. Lastly, and this is important, and I'm just going to touch on this briefly because we're actually already going to do a special next week on China where we're going to talk about this more. China is pushing propaganda out there, blatant lies that everybody in the world knows are lies. China told people that they had zero deaths from coronavirus today. I mean, it's the epicenter of the virus. Nobody believes that. NBC News ran with that as if it's a fact. What should we take from the American media repeating word for word things from communist China that they know to be lies? How am I supposed to take that? That's not, that's not me just blowing something out of proportion. How am I supposed to take that? Talk to Sarah Gonzalez about that next. Hang on.
Joining me now, the great Sarah Gonzalez, host of the News and Why It Matters on Blaze TV. First of all, Sarah, I have to ask, especially with the news we've had coming out recently on, you know, who this virus is specifically attacking, are you doing okay? Uh Yes, I am. I'm I'm younger and, you know, I'm I'm in Texas, so I don't know what what makes me at higher risk, but no, I'm doing great. Thank you. Oh, okay. Well, look, I was just checking to make sure. That's that's fine. Either way, long story short, Sarah, I'm a little bit weirded out by what I'm seeing from the media. And it's not that I think that the media is, is all of a sudden going to be unbiased. I, I don't believe that. Everyone knows what they are. You and I talk extensively about what they are all the time. But how are they that bad at reading the temperature of the room when the president is discussing a potential life-saving drug that people are already using to save lives and they're rallying against it as if they specifically don't want people saved and they think this makes them look good and Trump look bad? Yeah, well, I mean, the media, uh, unfortunately, has been living in an, an elitist bubble for quite some time now. It's themselves and Democrat lawmakers. And they live in this bubble where the main objective at all times is to get President Trump out of office by any means necessary. And if that means that they sacrifice a few people because they want to create the narrative that President Trump is lying about a medication that doctors have actually said is working, then that's what they're going to do. Because at the end of the day, you know, they're willing to sacrifice a few, a few of the sheep for the greater good. And they've proven that over and over and over again. And now it's no different. And I mean, really, Jesse, it comes down to the fact that they sit around in their circles. They don't go outside of their circles. They live in this in this sheltered bubble and they don't ever get out of it. And they don't care to uh, because they do believe, I think at heart, that they're better than everyone else and they don't need to. And so this is the result of that. This is, this is what you see uh, happening is that they, time and time again, they've got it wrong. And the American people are rejecting their narrative wholeheartedly, I think. Uh, I'm glad they are, too. And look, I was obviously joking about it, but the truth of the matter is we're already seeing headlines. I've seen several today where this appears to be the new thing where they're pointing out how the virus is disproportionately affecting black people and Hispanic people. Is that really the concern right now? Is the race of who it's, is somebody being denied care based on their race? That seems like honestly the most mentally deranged thing I have ever heard of in my entire life. Who looks at a pandemic that's killed 10,000 Americans and launched 15 million of them into unemployment and said, hey, can we get the skin color on everyone here? I, <laughs> these people are nuts. Yeah, I mean, it you, you kind of an answered your own question there. Uh, who, who is the person who creates this kind of a narrative based on nothing? <laughs> Someone who is not mentally stable. That's who does that. Someone who really has nothing, no argument other than identity politics, which is what the Democrats do. They don't have any other argument. I mean, you've seen this time and time again, even before the coronavirus struck. President Trump had all of these low unemployment numbers, which I understand are going to, you know, going to change with the coronavirus in play. But, you know, he had all of these low minority unemployment numbers. They still wanted to hit him on minorities. It doesn't really matter what the facts are they're still going to create that narrative because identity politics is their entire shtick. That's all that they have at the end of the day. If they don't have that, they're left with absolutely no argument to the American people as to why in the world they should be put in charge of anything. 
Sarah, I don't like these two-hour press briefings every single day. I, I don't like them. I, I don't mind the president getting up there every day and addressing the American people during a crisis. I don't mind even the two doctors getting up there and giving their opinion during a crisis. Why do we need a two-hour punch back and forth boxing match between the president and the press. Is this on President Trump because he just enjoys it? Because you know he secretly enjoys it. Is it on them? What purpose does that serve? Because all it does is it gives you an oversampling of, of information and therefore it lets you pick and choose whatever you want and you can walk away from it thinking anything. I completely agree. And I do think uh, some of the blame should be shared by President Trump, but this is why. Because President Trump knows that no matter what he does, the mainstream media is going to find a way to make it horrible, to make it wrong. So I understand his position in that he doesn't want to be the president, that the mainstream media can come back and say, well, he's not giving us enough access, he's not giving us enough information, and he's trying to be transparent. But he should know by now in dealing with this particular media in this particular day and age, he should know by now that that's a complete setup. It doesn't matter what he does. He's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. And the, the less gotcha moments that he provides the mainstream media, the less little clips that they can play on their primetime TV shows that five people are watching, the better for him in the long run, because then they don't have that ammo, they don't have that leverage to use to uh, to their few viewers. So I do think that he should share part of the blame. I mean, obviously, I could, I could sit here and tell you all about how horrible the mainstream media is and how they really have it coming whenever he uh, chastises them, but that's something you already know. Tell me something about NBC News that's going to make me feel better about what I believe is the oldest news organization in the United States of America, and this is what I mean by that. I'm looking at headlines day after day of them repeating Chinese talking points, which everyone in the world knows are false. They're repeating them as if they're facts. Today they did it as today was the first day China has no recorded deaths from the Wuhan virus. That, and not a single person in the world with an IQ above an amoeba believes that. Let, yet NBC News has been consistent about repeating the things China is saying. How can I look at that and not think I'm an enemy of the people? And I've never loved that line. I don't. But what am I supposed to take from that? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And as a, you know, as a reporter, uh, that, was, that was where I started my career, really, is just heavy-duty political reporting. It made me very uncomfortable when President Trump used the term the enemy of the people. And the more I saw what the media was doing, uh, you know, in the face of truth being right there that they chose not to report, I decided, you know what? There is some truth to the enemy of the people uh, framing of this. And I think that... That's what you're seeing again with NBC News, and I don't think that it should go uh, completely overlooked when all of this is said and done. I think that everyone should should sit back and look at what mainstream media, you know, uh, outlets are pushing communist Chinese agendas and what information they had at the time, either telling them that this was a correct narrative to push or telling them that this was a complete farce, that we already had information on the books, that China was, you know, not giving all of the information, that they just stopped testing people entirely. I mean, I really think that the American people really need to step back and look at not only the mainstream media, but also the medical community uh, after all of this is said and done and, and decide once and for all if we're going to just blindly trust this people again. Sarah, I'm a little bit concerned that this economic shutdown insanity, and I know how you feel about it, I know you agree with me, 
I'm worried that it is a train that cannot be stopped now. Already, I mean, I'm hearing these whispers of, of President Trump wants it open back up again. And then I see the fine print and it says in four to eight weeks. Uh, are there people at the federal, state, and local level who are somehow under the impression that in eight weeks we are even going to have an economy left? Has everybody lost their collective freaking minds in this country? Uh, the answer is yes. The short answer is yes. Uh, there are a lot of people who have at least temporarily lost their minds, I think, because fear does crazy things to people. Fear, you know, obviously turns people into uh, people who just want the government to save them. The problem is that you have these big time bureaucrats who have their, they've made their entire lives in go big government. They don't know how to create jobs. They don't understand how the economy works. And they're the ones who are saying, well, no, it's fine. We'll just give it a couple months. We'll shut the economy off. And then you know, when it comes time, we'll just flip the switch back on. That's not how it works. You've got small businesses. You know, you've got corporations. They've got bills to pay. They've got decisions that they have to make after that. And the idea that you can just flip the switch back on and every single person who was working in the economy gets their job back is absolutely insane and so incredibly ignorant and naive. But I mean, again, it's what you get when you have these big government bureaucrats who haven't held a private sector job possibly ever and if they have it's been you know 30 40 years since they have and they just don't understand how the real wor world works anymore and that's what you're seeing i think play out here amen the news and why it matters on blaze tv sarah gonzalez sarah i'm glad you got to see me <laughs> thanks me too we're not done yet hang on Well, I know this may surprise you because I have such a wonderful, youthful-looking appearance, but I'm 38 years old, which means I've got bingo coming in my future. These folks got treated to a special bingo partner. As you'll see, these are some older people, stuck, probably a little bit worried about their health, and they had to do this little video conference, Zoom thing, whatever you want to call it, bingo night. They got a special guest. We got an I-24, I-24. Oh! Richard Blutch is waving a hammer up high. Oh, we got Charles Kings in the iPad up high. We got two winners. Look at this, look at that board. Fourth column straight down. Winner. Let's see yours, Charles call Kings them iPad. Call them out, call your numbers out. See if we got them Matthew McConaughey. Good for you, sir. That is awesome. You always have to appreciate celebrities who take some time out of their day just to brighten someone else's. That's why I take the time to talk to people now and then. I even hand out my pictures with autographs on them. Just a charity I do. All right, we're going to do this again tomorrow. I'll see you. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. 
I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.